We're glad you're here, in all seriousness. If you are new and checking things out, we're just a community here that, that, that loves Jesus and wants to lean into Him and believing that the community here is important, that the church is important, that we are the light of the world. And what happens here on Sunday mornings uh, is more than enough time for, uh, for, for Jesus to transform some stuff in us. Just think of different people that Jesus interacted with. Even just thinking this morning as worshiping about Zacchaeus, right? Just a moment with Jesus is more than enough to transform our hearts. And that's why we come. That's why I get, that's why I get up in the morning. That's why, that's why I'm a pastor is believing that just a few moments in the presence of Jesus matters to us. And so um, I just encourage us to that be our posture this morning as we approach Scripture, as we approach His Word, that we don't want this just to be a rigid part of our service. We don't just want this to be something that we always do, but recognizing there's power in His Scripture, there's power in His Word. That when we, we dive into Scripture, we're recognizing that we're reading about a God who is alive, who is active, and His Scripture is alive and active. And so we want, we want to know what it has to say. And so we are journeying through the book of Acts. We don't know how long we'll be in it. Um, we're in Acts chapter 4, and I think it's been like eight weeks, so do the math there. Um, every Tuesday morning at Teach Team, we're just wrestling together with a crew of people in here. If you're in Teach Team, by the way, you mind just standing up. You guys got to know who's speaking into the messages every week. Yeah. There's a few others that aren't here, but we have a team of about eight, eight to ten people who we open up the passage and we just wrestle and we just ask the Holy Spirit, what is it you want to do? And we, 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 we put and craft our messages in community together. And so if that's something that interests you, if that's something that you would love to even have more questions about or kind of sit in and check out what's going on, we'd love to have you. And so come talk to me after the service. Love to give you more information on that. And so we are uh, making our way through the book of Acts. Um, today we're going to find ourselves in Acts chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, you can open up to Acts chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 1 through 22, and we're titling um, this conversation, this study, this book study, Empowered. And it's really anchored in the early convictions of the church, the early church, the very first church. What convicted them? What, what pillars? What, what, what were foundational truths that, that they um, operated under that they really built their community on? And we want to be that type of community as well. And so... Verse 1, here we go. We're going to read 22 verses. And so we'll have it on the screen. By the way, I'm reading out of the CSB version, and ProPresenter only allows NIV. So you might see some discrepancies. Um, don't worry, it's not that different. No, I don't believe in the NIV. <laughs> to me, it's inaccurate. Uh, oh boy, I'm finding myself in all kinds of trouble here. Verse 1, let's get it back. I'm done fooling around today. Here we go. Verse 1, while they were speaking to the people, talking about Peter and John here, the priests and the captain of the temple police and the Sadducees confronted them because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized them and took them into custody until the next day, since it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of men and women came to about 5,000. The next day, their rulers and elders and scribes assembled into Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. After they had Peter and John stand before them, they begin to question them. By what power and what name have you done this? Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done unto a disabled man, by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you. And to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and God raised from the dead, by this man is standing here before you healthy. Love that. He's standing before you healthy. This Jesus is the stone that rejected by the builders, which has become the cornerstone. 
There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. They were, when they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. If you have your Bible, I'd underline that phrase, that they had been with Jesus. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in opposition. After they ordered them to leave the Sahendron and conferred among themselves, saying, What should we do with these men? For obvious sign had been done through them, and it was clear to everyone living in Jerusalem that we cannot deny it. So that this does not spread any further among the people, let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in his name again. So they called for them and ordered them to not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. After threatening them further, they released them. They found no way to punish them because of the people were giving glory to God over what had been done. For this sign of healing had been performed on a man over 40 years. I'm titling this message, Let It Be Known. And I want to pick up where where Josh left off last week. I want to talk to you this morning about boldness word boldness. Um, It's all over this passage, and it's pretty clear that Peter and John were exercising an incredible amount of boldness in this passage, wouldn't you say? Over and over again, there seemed to be opportunities for Peter and John to kind of step away, to retreat, to stop, but we don't see that. They kept going. I think it's important to to remember that the context of what's going on here in Acts Acts chapter 3 comes when Peter and John are walking to the temple, as they did regularly, and they find a lame man at the temple gate, this gate called Beautiful, you read about in chapter 3. Josh talked about this last week. And they don't just walk by. They don't just walk by this man and go into the temple and preach. They stop and they heal him. And so this, this one act became a really controversial move for them because the question that comes out of that healing is a question that this, this is what they say, by what power... By what power did you heal this man? And so Peter and John then respond by telling them it is through Jesus whom they crucified, which, by the way, was probably the only wrong answer that they could give. They could have gave any other answer, and they would have been safe. They could have said, I don't know. It just happened. Right? They could have have dodged that question, and they would have been okay. And so they gave the one answer that actually would get them into hot water. They gave them the one answer that actually, from what I can see and what I gather in the story of Acts not getting too ahead, actually marked the death of Peter. It put him, it put his head on a pedestal to say, this is the life, this is, where, this is the decision that Peter was making, that he was going to live and die on this message of Jesus, whom you crucified. He's raised from the dead, and it was that Jesus who healed this man. It's the power of Jesus. So Peter and John are living their faith out with boldness. When you think of boldness, where do you think boldness comes from? It's important. I've been, I've been thinking about this a lot this week. What, what makes someone bold, specifically in their faith? What The truth, yeah, right? Some, knowing the truth. And again, distinguishing the difference between boldness, pride, and confidence. Right? I think boldness is different than pride and confidence. When I think of boldness, I think of someone who's really okay with putting themselves in a circumstance or someone that's okay with putting themselves in an uncomfortable situation, right? Boldness is putting yourself into a situation where you can't control the outcome. 
the outcome probably won't favor you, right? The outcome actually might lead to rejection. It might lead to humiliation. It might lead to some sort of loss of relationship, right? Whereas pride and confidence, maybe it's something that you can do where you know, oh, yeah, this is going to make me look good, right? Pride and confidence is rooted in what I can do and what we can see from Scripture and what I am gathering with just knowing the life of Peter and John, right? Boldness does not come from that place. Boldness comes from a place of who you are. It comes from within, not what you can do. And pride and confidence, most of the time, I think is rooted in what you can do. Whereas boldness is rooted in who you are. So to be bold in your faith requires nothing of you except knowing with certainty how loved and how accepted you are by Jesus, right? And I think this is what enabled Peter in this moment to give the one answer he ought not, should have given. I'm not sure I can stand in that place of Peter and reply and give that, I hope, but I'm not sure I could have given him the same answer. I think this is what enabled Peter and John to stand up in front of the temple, in front of thousands of people, some who supported them, but a lot who hated them and didn't want to see this message go further. In fact, we're told that, that when they were speaking, it became obvious to everyone in the room that Peter was uneducated and untrained. So boldness does not come from what you can do. If that's where boldness comes from, then this is not boldness. This is stupidity. <laughs> right? And so Peter at this moment is not impressing anybody. They're not watching him and being like, guy's gifted. How would we respond to someone like that in church today, right? Where they get up and they preach and the, and the, and the, and the comments from everybody in the room is like, yeah, is, that person's untrained and uneducated. <laughs> Not the greatest compliment in this moment, right? And so no one, they weren't impressing anyone. And so boldness cannot be rooted in what you can do, but rather who you are. So who's Peter? Who's Peter? Jesus told him, on this rock, Peter, I will build my church. So Peter went through an identity shift, right? So Peter is exercising his boldness based on who Jesus said he was and not on the affirmation and not on the affection of what people are saying to him. It's all coming back to who Jesus said he was. So what does boldness look like? I think it's three things in here that we see. And I want to encourage you um, uh, to kind of just remove any expectations you have of boldness. Um, I know when we talk about boldness in faith, um, there will be some that are like, yes, bold, let's be bold for Jesus. Let's go out right now and let's preach. And there will be others that you're thinking about people that have the signs at the stadiums and all that of like, is that boldness? I would just ask that we can undo whatever, whatever assumptions that we have of boldness, whatever you've seen, and let's just look at the life of Peter for a second and see the kind of boldness that he was living in. Because we know that this is healthy boldness. We're going to see that the church grew in one day up to 5,000 people. And this was not because Peter was creeping people out. This was not because Peter was holding up a sign at the temple telling people they're going to hell if they don't believe. Right? There's something different happening here. There's something compelling happening here. There's something happening here where people are leaning in and saying, Oh, I want that. I want to live for that. So what does boldness look like? Number one, boldness is proclaiming Jesus 
and all environments. Right? We see in verse, chapter, verse, verse 1, chapter 4, while they were speaking to the temple, the priests, the captain of the temple police, and the Sadducees confronted them because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Just love that. They were annoyed with them. They can't stop talking about Jesus. Can you talk about anything else? You have anything else going on in your life? You got a hobby? Something, something that like maybe we can talk about. What kind of food do you like? Oh, you're just talking about Jesus and the resurrection? They were annoyed at them. This man, by the way, when Peter's talking, they are annoyed for a reason because it is believed that the audience that Peter is actually talking to, many in the audience are actually ones that were agreeing and wanting and to see Barabbas released and Jesus crucified. So he's talking to an audience that put Jesus on the cross. These are not people that were detached from the crucifixion. These are people that were very involved with the crucifixion. And so they're annoyed that they are talking about this. So when Peter and John are proclaiming Jesus, they are in a hostile environment. This is not a safe place for them. And not long before this, we have to remember before we praise Peter too much and just be like, wow, he's amazing. Remember the story of Peter? Not too long before this moment, what did Peter do? He denied Jesus. The night that Jesus was arrested, what did he do in the public town square in front of thousands of people, most likely? Yes, Samuel. He denied him. How many times? That's my guy right there. My guy. He denied him three times, right? And so the Peter we read about in John chapter 18, when he denies Jesus three times, is very different from the person we now see in Acts chapter 4. What changed? What happened? Excuse you. What changed? Sorry. You'll know this about me. I just interact. It's my, my brain. There's far more going on in this room that I'm not paying attention to or I'm not commenting on. But the, the Peter... In John chapter 18, when he denies Jesus, is very different than the Peter we see in Acts chapter 4. What changed? Josh mentioned a little bit about this last week. If you missed his message, just go back and listen to it. It was powerful. But I think it's the intimate interaction that, that Peter had with Jesus in John chapter 21. Uh, long story short, after Jesus is crucified, Peter and John go back to their day jobs as fishermen I mean, if you know the story, they're not having much luck, right? They're fishermen, right? Like, I don't fish for a reason because I never catch anything. But Peter, Peter and John um, are experiencing the same sort of thing, right? They're not having much luck. And so while they're out there fishing, Jesus appears to them. They don't know that it's Jesus. They just hear a voice say, hey, throw the net to the other side. All right, well, we're not having any luck on this side, so let's just throw it over to the other side. The story goes, the nets get full, right? And then they decide Peter... Then recognizing, oh, this is Jesus. Jesus is standing off the shore over there. And the boat, a lot of commentators don't believe the boat was too far out, right? But Peter, in his excitement to see Jesus, the resurrection Jesus, thinks to myself, I got to get to Jesus as quick as I can. So what does he do? Like any man, let me just take my clothes off and I'm going to jump. I'm not kidding you. He took his clothes off, jumped in the water and swam to Jesus naked, where some commentators are like, they think it actually would have been faster for the boat just to take him to the... But we, if you know the story of Peter, we surprised, right? Peter got himself into trouble a lot. Peter did silly things, 
right? And so there's a transformation, and what happens next is the moment that I think transformed Peter, where you're seeing Peter act out of this place of identity, of who he is. He has breakfast with Jesus on the beach. They're eating fish. This intimate moment, which is Jesus and Peter. What an amazing moment that would be, right? And Peter, or Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? One for each sign of betrayal. And it's from this point on that Peter goes on to live his life clear on who he is. He's a child of God. Jesus told me who I am. He told me how much I'm loved. He, told, he called me a rock, even when I don't feel it. Well, we're singing. He's working, right? This is who I am. And so it was in this moment in John chapter 21 that Peter then is able to proclaim Jesus in all environments. And it's important for us to remember that this is an encouragement to us as well. Like Peter isn't just saying this is for pastors and teachers. Like what we see from the early church is people got passionate for Jesus. Go and proclaiming Jesus in all environments, whether it's a friendly environment or a hostile environment, are for all followers of Jesus. This isn't just for the, the, for the pastors. This isn't just for the, the ones that have, I don't know, masters or MDivs or whatever. This is for anybody. This is, this is who Peter is. He's uneducated, right? Untrained. All that made the difference is Peter knew who he was. He, he, he remembered who Jesus said he was, and that was enough for him. So I want to encourage you to proclaim Jesus in whatever environments you, you find yourself in. Don't be weird. Just be you. Just be you. I've interacted with quite a few. I say that because I've interacted with quite a few followers of Jesus that are either really overly ambitious about their faith, where it can be really off-putting to people, right? But more times I interact with Jesus followers who are just too quiet about their faith. They don't want to push what they believe on other people. And I understand this. And I really do think this comes from a genuine place. However, how will people know about Jesus if the people of God don't tell them? How will people know about Jesus if the people that follow Jesus don't talk about Jesus? I just think of the words of Paul in Romans, right? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We bring good news to the world. So when was the last time you talked about Jesus outside of a church gathering? outside of your small group? When was the last time you talked about Jesus to someone that doesn't know Jesus? And I'll ask you those questions to shame you. I ask you that question to stir something up inside of you, to awaken you to your faith. As we look at Peter, this excitement to see Jesus where he just jumps in the water, has a moment with Jesus and can't not talk about him, no matter what. This is for us. This is for the people of God. And so since Peter boldly proclaimed Jesus, we're told, though, that the church grew to 5,000 people in one day. This is why we tell people about Jesus. We want to see the family of God grow. We don't want to just see the church. We don't want to just see numbers here grow. That's not why we tell people about Jesus. We want to see people say yes to Jesus. This is why we proclaim him. We want to see people Say yes to King Jesus and submit to the rule and authority of Jesus in their lives. So first Peter proclaims, and then number two, we see him act. Boldness is acting on the opportunities that come your way. 
We see in verse 8 that it says, Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, It's one thing to just talk about Jesus, right? Isn't it a completely different thing to actually act on the things you talk about? This is the message of James, right? Jesus' brother, right? What's faith? It's not just talking, it's doing. Faith without deeds is dead, right? And so there's this balance that we're seeing with Peter who, yes, he's proclaiming it, but he's also acting on it. There's something different happening. And so Peter, at this moment, as I mentioned, he could have pulled back. He could have actually dug his heels in, but he continues to go further. He continues to tell the people who were responsible for killing Jesus that they messed up, that he is still alive, that you could not kill him. In fact, by you thinking that you killed him is actually making his rule and his authority and his power greater on earth. You cannot get rid of Jesus. You cannot get rid of the works that Jesus wants to do. We cannot stop him. (laughs) This is the message that he's bringing, right? And so it's important to see that Peter was not acting on his own power. We're told that he was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so his words found in verses 8 through 12 are not coming from a place of resentment. Believe it or not, they're not coming from a place of anger towards this audience. It's actually coming from a place, I believe, of love. The thing that Peter wants to see happen more than anything else is for all the people listening to his voice in that moment is to see Jesus for who he is. That Jesus is king. He's not just savior, he's king and he's savior. And in that very order. But in order for that to happen, the Holy Spirit has to work in the hearts of people. I think Peter got this, right? I cannot manipulate anybody. I can't force someone to believe in Jesus, right? That's up to the work and the power of the Holy Spirit, specifically those who have already rejected Jesus. And that's really an important through line in this entire passage, is when we act in our faith, we actually have to prepare ourselves for rejection. Weird thing to say, huh? But I think it's important for us to sit with for a second. I think we all know... um, that, that, that this is maybe one of the major blockades into us having a deeper and more intimate relationship with Jesus is our fear of rejection. What will they think about me? Will I lose that relationship? What's going to happen? It's this unknown, right? And I think this is a fear, fear of rejection is a major roadblock that keeps us from engaging others in all environments. Fear of rejection, I think, is a major thing for most of us in this room. If anyone knew a thing or two about rejection, it was Jesus, right? So when we talk about rejection, it's important for us not to know this is just an isolated thing. Like this is, there's something innate going on in the human condition where rejection is a very real thing. And, and, and in verse 11, Peter recites Psalm 118.22, and he says that Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone And what Peter is saying is that rejection, I think this is amazing, rejection and following Jesus are synonymous with each other. Like, if you're going to follow Jesus, people will reject you because Christ is in you. So if they rejected Jesus, don't you think there will be some that reject you? When we talk about the fear of rejection, what we're doing is that we're making it about ourselves, and that's a big hang-up in us. They're going to reject me. (laughs) No, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus. Right, And so since Jesus was rejected by so many, 
including his family, including his friends in his hometown of Nazareth. Don't we think they will reject you? And so we can either live in this constant state of fear of rejection, or we can accept the reality. If they rejected Jesus, they're also going to reject me. Not rejecting me, they're rejecting Christ in me, right? And Peter uses this message of rejection to his favor, to his advantage. And he actually uses it to invite people to follow Jesus, which is brilliant. Why? Because rejection isn't only about what happens to me. Rejection is actually the posture that I have towards Jesus myself. Newsflash, I reject Jesus every day. I do. Whether it's inadvertent, whether it's intentional, right? I still give in to the lie that I know best. I still give in to the truth that I, no, I got this. I can control my own circumstances. I know better than you, God. This is sin, right? And so Peter uses this like, to, to, to the advantage to actually call people, whether we're rejecting Jesus intentionally or unintentionally, he calls them to Jesus. This is what we call repentance, right? It's essentially what it is. And Josh talked about repentance last week. Josh, it's just about walking in one direction. This is the direction that I'm going. Oh, I'm recognizing this is the wrong direction. We're just turning around and walking in the other direction. That's what repentance is. And so for Peter, this message of rejection is something he wants his audience to lean into. He wants to bring it to the the surface. And instead of rejection being something that holds us back in our relationship with Jesus, he wants us to actually embrace the reality of it. Because it's not what happens to me, it's also what I do to Jesus. And I think the more we embrace our fears of rejection, the less scary they become. Right? We just, as a family, we just got away this past week. We went up to the mountains for a few days and got a bunch of snow up there. And um, I've got an eight-year-old and a, and a four-year-old and a three-year-old. And our three-year-old, West, uh, has never sled before. And so his big brother and big sister are hitting, you know, down the hill, no fear at all. They're doing their thing. They're being kids. And West is hiding behind a tree like this for a while. Just watching. He thought it was scary, right? And so he was working up his courage. He was working up some boldness. After he saw that it was okay, what did he do? He got back on, he got on the sled. And then we couldn't get him off the sled, right? This is, this is like, seriously, like, right? Like, the fears that we have, once we realize, oh, we conquer that fear, it becomes way less scary. Oh, I was in my head. I worked myself into all these outcomes that probably never even happened or could happen, Right? And so does the fear of rejection hold you back from sharing your faith? If so, I think it would be really helpful for us to identify that, to speak that out, so that we can take some steps to overcome it, so that we can develop a greater intimacy with Jesus like Peter had. That intimacy with Jesus is everything if we're actually going to operate out of who we are and be bold in that way. And one of the major themes in this passage is Jesus is king the through line here, which means his rule isn't just for those who don't know him. It's actually for those that also follow him. And oftentimes, we get to play a part. And so for many of us, fear is our king, I think. Maybe we don't know that, but fear is the king of our lives. In order for us to actually reposition Jesus to where he needs to go, we have to call it out. And not let fear be the thing that holds us back to our relationship with Jesus. 
Which brings me to my final thought about boldness. You hanging in there? Are you okay? Yeah. All right. Boldness is received when we're with Jesus. Verse 13, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. My favorite, my favorite verse in all of Acts right there. This is actually, I think, the one, the one verse that really does hold the entire book of Acts together. Like if, if verse 13, if this really wasn't true, then I don't think we would see any of the things that we see happen in the early church. Being with Jesus was everything for Peter and John. And as we're reading and studying through Acts, we have to remember that they were just a group of ordinary, uneducated people who just loved being with Jesus. And as a follower of Jesus, I don't think I can think of a greater compliment than for someone to look at my life, for someone to come up to me and say, I'm amazed because I recognize you've been with Jesus. What amazing compliment that would be, wouldn't it? Uh, if you don't know, I have, a, I have a little part-time hustle at Trader Joe's. You guys like Trader Joe's? You guys shop at Trader Joe's at all? What would you eat if Trader Joe's didn't exist? That's the question. Yeah, you'd eat the hash brown. Samuel, you are my guy today. We, have the, we do have a lot of lollipops, huh? I got you. I got you. So I have this... I have this part-time job at Trader Joe's, um, and I, I, I get people, everyone there knows I'm a pastor. In fact, I have the name Pastor Mike, um, <laughs> which I embrace, right? Um, and I have, I've had some really cool conversations with other crew members um, about Jesus. I've led one person into a relationship with Jesus just while stocking shelves at Trader Joe's. Um, but you should know that's rare. I would like to tell you, like, oh, yeah, every time I'm there all day, I'm just talking about Jesus. <laughs> People are just coming up to me asking questions, and everyone knows I've been with Jesus in the morning. Right? <laughs> like, to be real, like, that, it's a rare occurrence, right? Like, that just doesn't happen all the time. And I just can't, when I was reading this, and just the reputation that Peter and John and the early disciples had developed in this moment, I just couldn't help but think to myself, what's my posture when I'm at Trader Joe's? Like, and this is true for you wherever you work or wherever you find yourself, right? Like, when people interact with me, what impression am I leaving them with? Like, when they're walking out of my presence, are they thinking, like, wow, Mike's been with Jesus? Or are they thinking something completely, entirely different that I would be afraid to even hear, right? Like, the truth for all of us is that every single interaction we have with people we are leaving an impression on them. It's either a good impression, it's a bad impression. I would even argue if it's no impression, that's a bad thing. Right? Or my presence didn't even matter. People don't even know I'm around. <laughs> right? So we are leaving impressions on everybody. And I'm not suggesting that people's opinions are everything to us and that we need to work really hard as Jesus followers to leave good impressions everywhere we go. I am not suggesting that's completely missing the point. But in order for people to see Jesus for who he is, they have to first see who Jesus is to you, right? And so we talk about acting on the opportunities in all environments. There are times at Trader Joe's where the opportunity just presents itself. And in that moment, I can either step back or I can dig my heels in like Peter did. 
right? And be like, oh, like this is, this is why I'm here. As much as, as much as I can be frustrated about being at Trader Joe's, as much as I really honestly don't care about groceries and whether or not they have the orange chicken or your favorite gluten-free, gluten-free bread, like, I'm sorry, I don't care. I, like, <laughs> I, I, grocery is not my passion. I'm there to make a little bit more money, to have good insurance, and get the discount, right? Like, that's why I'm there. And the discount is fire. <laughs> but, like, there, I can, why I say that is I can easily check out, put my head down, and keep my faith separate, right? And the challenge for me is no. Like, this is a space. This is an environment. And, and you have that space. You have that environment. And it all comes through whether or not we're with Jesus. People see Jesus in us or not. And this is true in most of everything. Like, how can I point others to Jesus if I'm not with Jesus myself? If my kids don't see me with Jesus, then why would they want to be with Jesus? Right? Like, if I'm not with Jesus, how can I lead my kids to know Jesus? My wife, Jessie, if she doesn't see me spending time with Jesus, and she comes on a Sunday morning and hears me preaching about why you should be with Jesus, what credibility do I have? I don't have it in my home, but why would I have it here? Being with Jesus when no one is looking or when no one cares is what will sustain me and it will fuel my life when everyone's watching. That reputation comes from the quiet moments when you're by yourself, when you're just with Jesus. As Peter's having breakfast with Jesus on the beach, that's where his ministry came from. That's where the opportunities came from. I can't develop a reputation for being like Jesus if I'm never with Jesus. So what do we do? I don't know. <laughs> <Get it. laughs> I, I kind of don't. I do know, I do know that Jesus is king. This is what Peter is saying, and this is what Peter is suggesting. I think it's time we decide to reorder our lives around the reality that Jesus is king and boldly proclaim him, and boldly act on the opportunities that come our way, and more importantly, spend time with him. And so when it comes to those three points, which one do you feel like you can step into? Which one for you is like, that's the one? Like, is it to proclaim? If, it, if that's you, then I want to pray a prayer of commissioning over you. If it's to act, I want to pray that Jesus gives you eyes to see and ears to hear. If it's to spend more time with Jesus, I want to pray for a greater hunger and desire for more of Jesus in your life. That you will reorder your calendar. That you will just make time like you do for everything else for Jesus. Maybe it's all three. There's the next step for all of us here, I believe. And so we want to go into worship uh, and allow the Holy Spirit to to speak to you. Like, I believe boldness is for all of us. This isn't just for a few. This isn't just for the willing. This isn't just for the extroverts. Right? Boldness is for all of us. And so, we want to lean into that. And we're going we're gonna to worship, and I'm sure 
Um, Kiana and the team will have some stuff for us in just a moment, but um, why don't we stand together? And I just, I just want to invite you, before, before, you start, before your mind starts heading off out of this place, lunch, whatever it is, naps, all great things, can't wait. Okay? What next step can you take in order for boldness? Like, what can you, grab, what can you grasp from this passage? Is it to proclaim? Is it to act? Is it to spend more time with Jesus? Or is it all the above? Do you know when the, the option is all the above? That's probably the answer. True. <laughs> At least that's what I did. I was a C student. That's why I was just all the above. <laughs> I, didn't mean to, I didn't mean to lose the moment. But uh, let's pray. Just, just let's position ourselves. Just Jesus is king, so I'm not. Holy Spirit, come. And Lord, we ask that you would do the work that you see fit in our lives right now. We want to let go of control. We want to let go of things that we think we can do for you. And we just want to be just like Peter was with you on the beach. We just want to eat breakfast with you. We want to have a conversation with you. We just want to be with you. We don't want to bring anything. We have nothing to bring. And so I ask just these few moments together of worship and response. You would, you would transform our hearts and our minds to see you for who you are. And you would fill us with boldness that can only come from the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.